We're going to Revelation chapter 6. We're talking about apocalyptic absolutes, things that absolutely God said will take place. Again, especially for those that are visiting this morning, uh, we, are, we have 1,000 prophecies in the Scriptures. 500 of those prophecies have come to pass exactly as stated. God has fulfilled them. That means there's about 500 more prophecies that God will fulfill. And it, it's just amazing. Now, if you've been with us the past several weeks, we've gone through some of the things that God has done. Now we're looking specifically, <clears throat> Revelation chapter 6 and on, we're looking at things that have not happened yet. These are all things that are yet to be fulfilled. So when people are reading the book of Revelation and they get confused and it's hard to understand, it's like, well, what does all this mean? You're, you're not alone. The book of Revelation is what's known as apocalyptic-style writing. What does that mean? Apocalyptic literature, specifically biblical literature, is speaking about things from a symbolic standpoint that have a future fulfillment. So it takes a little bit of study. I always encourage folks, 2 Timothy 2.15, to do what? To study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen and workwomen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, you can hear my voice is a little raspy today. There's a reason for that. <clears throat> I spoke 21 times this week. So a lot of preaching, a lot of teaching, television shows. Uh, uh, by the way, Prophecy Focus, uh, we have our television show. All the call letters are in your bulletin. I also did seven programs for Word of Life. Uh, which uh, will be broadcast in August, and uh, so a lot of speaking, so I'll do my best. If I lose my voice, uh, Mark, you want to come up and finish for me? I'll give you my notes. We're good to go. All right. <laughs> so what we're talking about in Revelation chapter 6, we started out in Revelation chapter 5 where God said, uh, uh, the Apostle John comes up to God the Father up in heaven, and, he, and he's got this scroll, a sealed scroll with seven seals on it. Probably didn't look like this. We'll show you a better picture in a few moments. But uh, uh, in Revelation chapter 5, John the Apostle, the one who wrote Revelation, he comes up to God the Father, and the Father has this scroll, and nobody was able to open it. And the Apostle John, for whatever reason, just gets beside himself. He starts crying uncontrollably. And uh, all of a sudden, God says, stop. Stop your crying. Because there's one that is worthy to open that scroll. And the Lord Jesus walks up to God the Father, takes the scroll, which is literally the title, Deed to the Earth. Thanks, Tony. And uh, 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 basically, what we're going to see is, and I talked with someone about this yesterday. Thank you, sir. And uh, I actually got quizzed. I like getting quizzed as long as I can figure the answers out. I think I only missed one out about the 10 questions, but I got close. He's like, here's the question. How long has Satan been running the world? I'm like, well, we go back to, and we went through this last week, actually. We go back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. And the fall of man, fall of woman, if you will, happened in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 3. Two chapters after creation, boom, done. And uh, Satan then becomes, uh, if you will, God's theocratic uh, kingdom basically falls apart at that time. Not because God did, could have, couldn't have done it a different way, but he chose to allow man to take their own rotten, sinful way. And Satan has been the according to uh, 2 Corinthians, the small g God of this world ever since. Now, that's going to change one day uh, in the future, which we'll show in Revelation coming up uh, lots of weeks from now. But it's like, who's controlling the world right now? And everybody, as a Christian, says, well, God's sovereign plan, he'll take care of everything. That's true. But God, in his sovereignty, is allowing Satan to have a whole lot of free will to do a whole lot of things that will fulfill Revelation chapter 6 through 16 with the things that he's going to implement. So what we're looking at is what is God doing when he hands the title deed to Christ? He's saying uh, to the Lord Jesus, you are going to get back this earth. And here are some of the things that are going to happen that are going to take place to get us to that particular point. 
So what we're looking at throughout the book of Revelation then is 28 major judgments. Most people only know about 21 because uh, one set of judgments is not, it basically wasn't revealed, but God told us about them. So what do we have? We have the seal judgments, which we're looking at today. We have the uh, uh, trumpet judgments. We have the hidden judgments in Revelation chapter 10, known as the seven thunder judgments, which God didn't tell us what they were, so you can use your imagination. And then finally in Revelation 16 are the bowl or vile judgments. So that's basically a, a quick background. Well, let me ask you a few questions as we get into our section in Revelation 6 this morning. When someone unjustly hurts you, do you expect justice? Most of us would say absolutely, especially if it's a horrible criminal act. I expect justice. That's what that's what should be happening. We're going to see in, our, in this passage this morning that those who have gone against God there's going to be justice. Have you ever been so scared that you thought you would die? I mean, just absolutely horrified, scared, whatever the particular situation was. Maybe a car accident. Maybe uh, you were on a tr on, on an airplane, and all of a sudden uh, the bells and whistles start going off in the, in the mass drop. Maybe uh, uh, for some of our younger folks or older, it's a, it's a massive thunderstorm that just, for whatever reason, scared you. Maybe you've been in an earthquake, other things that get our attention. It's just, oh, I think I'm going to die, I'm, and you're just scared to death. We're going to look when we get to the sixth seal judgment this morning about men, powerful men, powerful kings, powerful warriors that are going to be literally scared to death. Have you ever been warned and refused to heed the warning? Folks, why do we study Bible prophecy? There's several reasons why. Number one is we want to know what God has told us is going to happen in the Scriptures. It's just a matter of good information. What's God going to do? But it runs much deeper than that. When we go through the horrible things that are going to be happening in the future, it should prick our hearts. You say, why is that? We know that the next major event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture, the removal of the church taken up to heaven before the tribulation starts. That's true. But if it happens in our generation, which it very well could, and folks, that's why we're doing Prophecy Focus Global Updates on Wednesday evening, because if you watch the prophetic scenario in Revelation and Daniel and other books of the, uh, of the scriptures, we are seeing things take place that are literally setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. It, it, it's amazing. So we bring those things out to say, listen, folks, it's time to wake up. It's time to realize that the, the uh, uh, approach of uh, Jesus Christ to take his church home, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 4, 50 to 54 is potentially today, could be. Tomorrow? Could be. Is it could be much longer? Could be. We don't know. But we're seeing God set the stage for this beautiful event when uh, one generation of Christians, God will take home, and then, of course, all the dead given their glorified bodies. So this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to examine the prophetic fifth and sixth seal judgments, and quite frankly, the horrifying results. All right, very quickly, every uh, day that we're doing Revelation, just a very quick reminder, the outline of the book of Revelation is in chapter 1 and verse 19, very simple outline. And the Apostle John was told, number one, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Revelation chapter 1, which were the uh, things that John had seen, they'd taken place Revelation 2 and 3 were the letters to the seven churches that existed during the first century. And, uh, of course, tremendous personal application in those chapters 2 and 3 still has tremendous application to each of us today. We've been through those. Then we started in chapter 4, where in uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, the Apostle John uh, is told by God, come up here. And uh, the Apostle John is brought up to heaven to start viewing what would take place in the future. So everything from chapter 4 through the end of Revelation chapter 22, folks, you're reading a newspaper that is yet to be written. It's, it's amazing. All the thing that God is pointing out will take place. 
All right, a couple more charts, and then we'll get into the message itself. So just as a reminder, and it's best redundant, but uh, we always have new folks coming in every single week, which we're thankful for, and just to make sure everybody understands the basics of God's prophetic calendar. So we live in now what's called the current church age, which has gone on since the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, uh, the current church age. It's gone on for about 2,000 years. It is made up of Jewish people and Gentile people who have come to Jesus Christ, placed their faith in him, and have made themselves Christians based on their faith in Christ. So we have three people groups that currently exist on the earth, unsaved Jews, unsaved Gentiles, and Christians. God made it very clear that there's going to be coming a day when the dead in Christ and one generation of alive Christians will be immediately taken up to heaven. I gave you the verses a few minutes ago. Immediately after that event, as a reminder, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27 is God's prophetic calendar. It's all laid out, Daniel 9, 24 to 27. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, the next event that he talks about is the beginning of a peace treaty between the Antichrist and Israel. Folks, uh, Israel's been a mess for hundreds and thousands of years. Since AD 70, the Jewish people have been dispersed. The, the second temple was torn down, and the Jewish people will one day get all of that back. But until then, uh, the rapture happens, and until the Antichrist makes that peace treaty, you will not see the Jewish temple restored in Israel. You say, well, wait a minute, how do you know that? Well, it's been 2,000 years, folks. The temple was torn down in A.D. 70, and God promised in Daniel 9.27 that there would be a third temple, a third Jewish temple. May I ask you, where is God's temple today? Christian, look in the mirror. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 tells us, Know you not that you, Christian, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So until uh, the church is removed, the temple will remain in Christians, and then as soon as we're, uh, the rapture takes place, the Antichrist will make that peace treaty with Israel, and the third Jewish temple will be built right in Jerusalem. All right, so then what's going to happen? That peace treaty will last about three and a half years, according to Daniel 9.27. The seal judgments, which is why you see that signet ring in that first three and a half years, is when the seal judgments will take place. Then all the other judgments will start taking place after that point. So the seal judgments will happen. Even though there's this pseudo-peace in Israel, there's going to be a lot of chaos going on around the earth. The last three and a half years will be the worst time of tribulation ever on this earth, known as the Great Tribulation. All right, so before we get to our passage this morning, just a very quick review. If you weren't here last week, and if you were, always good for a quick review, especially if you didn't know this material. Revelation chapter uh, uh, 6, starting at the beginning of it, we went through what's known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, the apocalypse is always referring to something in the future. So this hasn't happened yet. So it's apocalyptic, it's future, it's symbolic. I, I did not state this. What is the title of the book we're in? Revelation. revelation. What is the Greek word for the word revelation? It is apocalypsis. That's where we get the apocalypse from. All right, so uh, it all, when we're talking about the four horsemen of the revelation, it would make just as much sense. All right, so we looked at four horsemen last time, the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, the pale horse, and the devastating judgments that were associated with it. <clears throat> we're going to skip that. So we looked at uh, judgment chapter, judgment one. Now, if you look on here, the uh, the seals on the only it's more of a, a, a recollection than it is a reality. So if you look on the left side of the screen, you'll see a scroll where you unroll it, and then there's a seal. That's how this is going to progress. As you keep unrolling the scroll more seals will show up. That's basically what the actual picture is of. So we looked at this white horse, which basically is the coming of the Antichrist. He will have a crown, which means he'll have great authority, and he went out to conquer and to conquer. The interesting thing is he had a bow, but no what? 
No arrows. So it's a political victory that the Antichrist will score after some horrible event is going to happen worldwide. The Bible doesn't specifically tell us what that is, but the Antichrist will come and he will have worldwide attention and he'll be eventually put up as uh, the dictator of not just America, not just Russia, not just China, not just Japan, not just Great Britain, the whole entire world. It says all tongues, all nations will follow this person and by the way they will worship him seal judgment number two was the red horse which talked about tremendous violence verse four revelation six and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth so massive violence will be taking place on the streets yesterday i looked at a clip in paris and uh, this was exactly what was going on, except uh, the, the police were there. There were spraying people with tear gas. They were beating them with clubs over a rebellion. Folks, this is going to be during the tribulation time. This is going to be a constant, everyday event. Third seal, which is uh, now really getting down to where it gets rough. Revelation 6, 6, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of Barley for a denarius. What's he talking about? When the tribulation kicks in, after the rapture of the church, at the beginning point of that three and a half year out of the seven year period will be tremendous famine. Right today when I came down 45, I looked at all the beautiful corn crops. I looked at the wheat that's already been harvested and it's like, it's wonderful. I go to the store, we go there, just like you, you pick up the food you want, you go home and enjoy it. God states that during the seven-year tribulation will be the worst famine of all time. People will go to work. There won't be the, the rich people and the poor people. Everybody's going to be poor. Everything, this economy is going to be completely blown up. Check your news, what's going on right now. I'll leave it at that. See me Wednesday. <laughs> Bottom line, what's going on? He's saying there's going to be such tremendous famine on the earth that people will literally be starving to death. They will be killing each other based on number two to do what? They want to eat. Folks, survival is number one with all people. They will do whatever it takes to survive. Then we come down to Revelation chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, which talks about one-fourth of the world's population will die during this time. The fourth seal is opened up. So I looked and behold a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was death, and Hades followed with him. So I looked, and what happens? And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the field. All right, now, folks, this is, this is so out of our imagination, even. 7.3 billion people, if the censuses are correct, exist today. That means during this first part of the first half of the tribulation, 1.8 billion people will die. Die. I mean, that's one-fourth of everybody, gone. You think about things that are happening around the world right now. You think about the emphasis, and again, I'm not getting into the specifics about the COVID-19 uh, virus issues, but you look at the nationwide global issue that is affecting every single person in every part of every country, and it is setting the stage for something like this to take place. You say, how's that? Supposedly across the world, one million people have died because of, of the... And I brought up this, this fact several times that in Italy, when the, the virus first hit there, there was a massive amount of people that died. And they literally had semis lined up to go to the crematorium, or uh, if you will, to where they were going to uh, burn the bodies. Now, folks, it's like, okay, what does that have to do with Bible prophecy? Well, it's setting the stage because in our minds, the world's mind, something like this could have, boof, just like that happened. All of a sudden, we have God's church. When, what happens when our church is emptied out because we've all been raptured and taken home across the country and across the world? Where'd all those people go? Well, they probably got COVID and died. Gone. Who cares? Then it's going to get to where uh, these massive deaths will be taking place, and it's going to be very common place. That is how God is allowing Satan to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Well, let's take our Bibles, go down to verse 9, where we'll finish up our chapter this morning. 
Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. What does that mean to you? That means Christians being martyred, believers being martyred. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Verse 12, I looked when he, Jesus, opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us, catch the verbiage, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the what? Wrath of the Lamb. Extremely important, and we'll explain why in a moment. For the great day of his what? Wrath. Say it again, please. Wrath. wrath. A great day of his wrath is coming. Now you say, well, why are you making a big deal out of that? Okay, I'll do that first, then we'll pray and get into the message. There are multiple different beliefs about when the rapture of the church will take place. There are those that, that state, well, you know, there's that seven-year tribulation period. Uh, the church will go through at least the first half of the tribulation, and there'll be a mid-tribulation rapture. Well, folks, if the sealed judgments are happening and the wrath of God is being dealt out upon this earth, the church can't be there. And it's been stated by this particular group that the wrath of God doesn't include those first six sealed judgments. Well, I just read it two times. <laughs> where he makes it very clear. There's those that uh, hold to a, uh, a particular theological deal, which has not picked up a great deal of traction, but, it, but they're out there. When I did this particular piece on VCY, uh, our prophecy focus, I got uh, a couple of folks from the pre-wrath group started a little campaign against uh, uh, what we had said on there, and it's like, bring it on, brother, because uh, scriptures, I'll be happy to debate you if we need to, but uh, pre-wrath, they're like the, the rapture will happen somewhere maybe in the first, somewhere after about the first half, first two-thirds of, of the tribulation period. So I can't be. The biggest issue, folks, is if you understand Daniel 9, 24 to 27, God's prophetic calendar, the church is not involved in these judgments. It, the church exists between Daniel 9, 26 and Daniel 9, 27. I wrote a whole book on the gap between Daniel 9 and 26 and 27. The church is not part of what will be taking place. So that's why I bring out the wrath. When they say, well, the church won't go through the wrath of God, and the, and, uh, which means that they'll go through the first six or first three and a half years of the tribulation, I say that's nonsense. It absolutely makes no theological sense. If, uh, uh, and I try not to be unkind, but uh, I don't want God's people thinking that they're going through the wrath of God. They're not. They're not going through any of the tribulation because it's Jewish literature. All right, let's pray, and let's go through these last two seals. Father, thank you for your love for us. I pray now that as we open up your precious word of God that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, these are horrible things that will be happening, but needed judgments to get the folks that are left on this earth to turn to you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords will one day, after that 77-year period, will descend from heaven with his white horse, Revelation 19, and set up his 1,000-year millennial kingdom. Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray that you'd help our hearts to be softened this morning. I pray that you help us to think about our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones who don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And Lord, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt if the rapture happens in our generation 
that those folks that don't know Jesus will be stuck here to go through this most horrible, catastrophic time. Give us a heart for people. Excite us about what's to come and about where we will be. We'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So we go to Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9, and he says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for their testimony which they had. What's going to happen immediately after we're taken up to heaven? Well, Bible tells us that there's going to be a bunch of folks going out and evangelizing. There's no Christians down here. They're gone. We're all up in heaven. So who's going to tell folks about Jesus Christ? Well, in Revelation 7 and 14, it talks about 144,000 young male virgin evangelist Jewish men, 12,000 from every tribe, which will immediately come to Christ and go out and start preaching the gospel around the world. Revelation also tells us about two witnesses that will be going out. They have supernatural power given by God. They'll be preaching the gospel. Matthew chapter 24 verse 14 makes it very clear that every single person on earth will hear the gospel during that time. We try to do it with missionaries now. We try and do it with uh, uh, our local churches going out and preaching the gospel. But God makes it very clear. Every single person during that tribulation time will indeed hear the gospel. What's going to happen when people get saved when they're living in a pagan world? Same thing that's happening all across the world right now, martyrdom. So these are individuals that during that first part of the tribulation period, they'll hear the gospel, they'll respond to it. And we're not going there today, but if we went to Revelation chapter 17, the first three and a half years, there's going to be a worldwide false church. That church will be antagonistic towards people who come to Christ. They will be killed for their faith. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. So he's looking and he's, uh, there's this massive amount of people that have been killed, that have been martyred for their faith, if you will, during this fifth seal judgment. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long? <laughs> Lord, did you see what they did to us? Do you know how they took us out? Do you know how they murdered us? The, the sweet word is martyrdom, but they murdered us. How long till our blood is avenged? O oh Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Well, here's his answer. First of all, we saw the martyrs are revealed. These are tribulation saints that are killed during that seven-year period. Now they're what? They're asking for justice. That's why we asked that question at the beginning. If you are wrong, do you want justice? Well, I'll tell you what, these folks sure did. In Revelation 6.11, here's what it says. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. What's God saying? He's saying that during this first part of the tribulation period, the evangelists will be going out. Folks will come to Christ, but there's going to be a horrible wickedness about the earth that's going to result in the martyrdom of those who come to the Lord Jesus. Folks, I always like to stop here for a minute and remind us that this world is not our home. Folks, one day, whether it's by rapture, whether it's by death, every single one of us will be taken out of here. When you look at what's happening across the world, the amount of martyrdom that's taking place in other countries today, we don't like to think about that here in America. We like it the way it is, and I'll guarantee you, I much prefer to be able to walk into church on a Sunday morning, openly talk about Christ, go on the streets, talk about Christ. Yeah, you'll get some resistance. Yes, some folks will push back on you, but we still have freedom, and the likelihood of being martyred for Christ in America is pretty small. But when you get out of America, and it's happening all over the place, thousands of folks that are martyred every year for their faith in Jesus. Now, folks, will that come to pass in our generation? Don't know. Will it happen in America before the rapture of the church? Don't know. You say, well, why are you bringing up then? Because we should be prepared. Should be prepared. What happens if things change and our freedom does go the way of uh, uh, communist China? What happens if the socialist agenda and the Marxist agenda that is being pushed into America as we speak 
What happens if that becomes an absolute reality in the government? Well, folks, this church will be closed. Not because I close it, not because you close it. Could happen. And that's why I keep praying, oh, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. I don't want to go through that any more than you do. So let's keep praying for our country. Let's keep, and you say, Brother Rich, do you, do you, you encourage people to go vote? Yes. You say, why? Because if God chooses to give us someone in office who will preserve us, it still takes the votes. So you're like, well, I know the system is, I don't like the way the system works. I think the system's corrupt. I think it's broke. Well, folks, God allows people into office. Romans chapter 13. God chose to do what he did. But if God chooses, and maybe it's Second Chronicles, that will kick in. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will heal their land. I keep going back to that great verse to the Jewish people about, okay, America, we messed up. We're a wicked, rotten place. And maybe, just maybe, if all of God's people would turn back and say, I'm going to take being a Christian seriously. I'm going to take uh, praying seriously. I'm going to take going out and getting folks for vacation Bible school and trying to win young folks to Christ seriously. We're going to go after this with everything we've got, and we're going to keep praying. We're going to keep our lives right with God, and maybe, just maybe, God will say, all right, I heard your prayers. I've seen what you're trying to do. I'm going to turn this thing around. I'm going to give you a few more years uh, before uh, uh, I really turn on the heat, if you will, across the world. But Revelation chapter 6 says, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was complete. Let me take you ahead to what he's talking about here. In Revelation chapter 6, he's telling those that had already been martyred for their faith that more people will be martyred. And where do we find out about that? Well, we've got to skip ahead to Revelation chapter 13. And it talks about uh, uh, Satan, it talks about a beast, and it talks about another beast. Who are those? It's the satanic trinity. Satan himself mimics God the Father. The Antichrist, or the first beast, mimics Christ. The third beast, which we're going to see here in verse 11, another beast is what's known as the false prophet, the third member of the satanic trinity during the tribulation. So God says, then I saw another beast, the false prophet, coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. When you see a little lamb, what do you think of? It's cute, right? Ah, cute little lamby. It's nice. I should have brought a picture of my new puppy. Yeah, we got it. <laughs> She's making progress. Cute as can be. But she, no, she didn't speak like a dragon yet. Doesn't even bark. Anyway, we have this cute little lamby, but it's got a couple little horns on its head. And it's very endearing. It's engaging. This false prophet, which is the one that's going to get people to turn their love towards the Antichrist. That's his total job. And this ant, uh, false prophet comes on the scene. He comes out of the earth, and he looks so cute, and he's enduring. But all of a sudden, he lays down the law and speaks like a dragon. This is the way it's going to be. That's exactly what he's saying here. Sorry if I scared anybody. Verse 12, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast or the Antichrist in his presence and causes the earth and all those who dwell in it to do what? Everybody on the earth will worship the Antichrist whose deadly wound was healed. Now, that goes back to another section where the Antichrist looks like he was martyred, died, killed, but he's brought back to, if you will, life. So they're talking about the Antichrist, the entire world, this world dictator, which certainly is not in place at this time, will be put on front and center, and it is this false prophet's job to put him up front. Now, let's see what the false prophet will make happen in Revelation 13. Verse 14, And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast of the Antichrist who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast and that, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be what? killed. A few Wednesday nights ago, I played a five-minute video 
of what is known, and you can look it up on the internet. We're not going to play it today. There's a massive, uh, I believe it's 30 stories high, something like that, uh, a, a kind of a robotic thing called the giant. And it's real. So this, this uh, a massive structure can talk. It changes its face. It can move. And it uh, basically, I'm not calling this the, the beast spoken about here by any stretch of the imagination, but it's the prototype, I believe, of what is going to be coming to Israel as this image, which has the ability to cause as many as it would not worship it to do what? To kill. Now, folks, that's some serious technical stuff that's going to be going on in the future, and we're starting to see, and again, every time we see these things happen, giant, giant statue, people coming from all over the place to see it, and it's like a, a massive, wonderful thing, come see this. Well, folks, that's exactly what's going to happen in the prophetic future. And God is allowing things right now to set the stage. The interesting thing, though, is every single person on this earth that refuses to worship this image, somehow it's, they're going to be found out. Oh, yeah. Anybody here of the Mark of the Beast? Ah, yeah, 666. I was asked, uh, in fact, during, uh, we didn't get to it, but what does 666 mean? Is it symbolic? What does it mean? God doesn't tell us outside of the fact that every single person will have a mark on their forehead or on their right hand, and those who refuse to take it, <laughs> they're going to die. So it's no wonder that these things will take place. They refuse to worship the image. They refuse to take the, uh, uh, the, uh, the image, if you will, of the beast, the 666, whatever that refers to. They will die. Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse, when Jesus was preaching about this issue, said to those who will be you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake and then many will be offended will betray one another and hate one another is this one working now okay good all right thanks i'll keep close then all right so what is god telling us in the great tribulation or during this tribulation time what is god saying will happen well all those who refuse to trust the lord what will happen to them they will be Killed, they will be. A, they will become that which the Antichrist and his crew despises. Matthew ten twenty eight reminds us, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him, Jesus Christ, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You say, brother Rich, what are you saying here? I'm saying if. In our lifetime, it comes to the time when martyrdom becomes a fact, and it is a fact in many parts of the world today. God says, don't fear those who can take our bodies. You say, well, that's a pretty uh, easy thing to say, but kind of a hard thing to grasp. You know, it's very interesting. When you read about the martyrs back in uh, uh, the old, old times, the ancient times in the, during the first part of Christianity, it's amazing how God gives grace to those who would be martyred. It's, it's just an amazing thing. God gives them peace. When you think of those that went to the, the piles and were, and were attached to the stakes and they were set on fire and uh, they didn't stand there screaming and yelling and crying for mercy, they said, Lord, uh, <laughs> I'm happy to die for the cause. Folks, that's not normal, right? I mean, it's not something you say, boy, I hope I can be a martyr today. Especially, well, there's religions that do say that, but uh, not in Christianity. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and come to him. That's about as hard as we want it to be. But if martyrdom comes, he says, don't fear, fear those who can kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able not just to take your life, but can destroy it in an awful place called hell. Folks, that's why we preach this stuff. It's because back in the day when you came to Jesus Christ, you realized that you were a sinner. You understood that because you sinned, if you got what you deserved, you'd spend an eternity in an awful place called hell. But at one point, all of a sudden, it made sense to you that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on a cross for your sins, was buried, and three days later rose again from the dead, and you embraced the Lord Jesus as your Savior. You understood the facts, but at one point in your life, you did what? You made a personal decision to accept that free gift of eternal life by trusting in Jesus. 
Now God's saying this. Why do we preach prophecy? Why do we tell the gospel? Because God has called us to try and reach every person we can while we're still on this earth to reach them with the precious gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at uh, the uh, seal number six, then the terrifying cosmic disruptions that will be taking place, which are part of the wrath of God. All right, let's go on. Verse 12, and I looked and he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. A great earthquake. Let's explain how great it is. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. There's some books out there about the blood moons and how it's pointing to the rapture. Please don't give that guy any more money. Made millions of dollars off of false teaching. The blood moon's got to be the rapture of the church, got to be the tribulation period coming in. Well, isn't it amazing that not a single word of that's come true? Stop buying those dumb prophecy books. <laughs> you say, that's pretty strong language. It's pretty strong, meant to be strong. I don't like people making millions of dollars off of messing with the Bible. Behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. That is future. Not today. It is future. After the church is raptured, there are not going to be any blood moons that have anything to do with the church age. It is future. I think I said that, right? Verse 13. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll and it is rolled up. Catch this now. Every mountain and island was what? Was moved out of its place. Now, folks, you've seen some tremendous uh, uh, earthquakes that have taken places in, uh, like uh, uh, some in years past in California, some that have taken place in other parts of the earth. Devastating, devastating things that happen when an earthquake happens. Now, I've been in one earthquake. When I was in, in, in uh, Israel, I was at the southern border of what's known as Elat, right above Egypt. And I'm up in the top floor, and some of you have heard this. I told this story once before, I think, here. And uh, I'm up on the top floor, and I was with uh, Jimmy DeYoung Jr. on a trip, and he's like, hey, Rich, you know, I want to do you, do you something nice. I'm going to take your room. I'm going to let you have the room up on the top floor. And I'm like, Jimmy, I don't want to do that. I said, you know, you're here all the time. And it's like, he says, Rich, I want to do it for you. So I'm like, all right. So he gives me uh, uh, the, the nice room up on the top floor on, on uh, a lot overlooking the Red Sea. And I'm up there, and finally it's time to go night-night, so I go to sleep, and all of a sudden I feel my bed shaking. And uh, it startles me, I wake up. And I'm like, that's silly, Jimmy, that's, he's setting me up here. <laughs> so I thought he's down there, I'm like, I, I think uh, Jimmy's down there shaking my bed, and I'm, I, I get up, I look around, I'm like, where are you? And uh, it stopped, and I went back into bed, and all of a sudden it started up again. And my bed starts shaking, and I'm like, Jimmy! And no Jimmy. My bed's shaking, and, I, and I'm like, I'm in an earthquake. So it wasn't bad, but it was enough to get my attention and wake me up. So I'm like, wow, I'm, I need to look out the window, see what's going on here. And I look out, and pretty much no damage. And, uh, but it got my attention. And that was just a little tremor from an earthquake that happened way down in Egypt, and the tremors had come up into Israel. Now, folks, it got my attention. Now, what would have happened if that building would have started going side to side like you've seen, and all of a sudden... Fortunately, I was on the top floor, and all of a sudden, it starts going down. Pretty scary, right? We've just gone through where uh, we had the one building that was destroyed and the amount of deaths that occurred from that, and they're still cleaning that up. Folks, it's scary. It's horrifying. Why? Because it's threatening life. It's threatening your life. And all of a sudden, this massive earthquake, the whole earth is moving. What does he say? Every mountain and island was moved. This is at the beginning of the trip. When we get to Revelation 16, 10 chapters later, we're going to look at the worst catastrophic earthquake that will ever take place. And this one is pretty, pretty bad. What happens? We see a great earthquake. We see the sun becomes uh, not back, but black. Moon became like blood, stars of heaven fell to the earth, sky receded as a scroll. Every mountain and island was moved. This massive cataclysmic uh, event is taking place. The entire surface of the world is changing. And people all of a sudden are realizing, at least at this point, that the wrath 
of God is upon us. One-fourth of the world's population has died. We're in severe famine. People are killing people everywhere. It is the most horrible, catastrophic events that have ever taken place in the earth. And now the entire world's surface is changing. You don't think that's going to get people's attention, yet how do they respond to it? Remember that question I asked at the beginning? How are you going to respond when you're warned about something? It's telling you it's coming. And there will be people over and over and over again who will hear things like this. They'll be watching on the internet. They may be sitting in churches. They're being warned about things to come. <sighs> I think I'll catch a nap. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, that's for the future. Who cares? <sighs> and God says, I'm warning you. In fact, it's not an idle threat. It's a promise. It's coming. And it should get our attention. Massive fear overcomes humanity. What does he say? And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us! Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Hide us! Scared to death. The generals, the tough guys, the bikers, <laughs> they're all looking out going, ah, help. And they're scared. And they ought to be. Because God is trying to get their attention. He's trying to get them to understand if you don't repent, if you don't come to Jesus Christ, it's going to be worse. Yes, you will die. Yes, you will suffer. You think this is bad. You think what you're seeing today is bad with these horrible cataclysmic things. You will spend an eternity away from Christ in an awful place called the lake of fire where you will burn and you will suffer forever and ever and ever, Revelation 21.8. You say, well, that's not a very popular topic. It's not. People hate it. You talk about hell in church? Oh, can't do that. No, yeah, you can. See, if Jesus Christ was willing to do it, if he talked twice as much about hell as he did about heaven, I think we should too. Why? Because it gets our attention. Hide us from what the great day of his wrath has come, has come, who is able to stand. So we have this major thing that's taking place. We have all these horrible events that are taking place, and the people are screaming out. Folks, if I could help you avoid pain and suffering and torment, that's <clears throat> exactly what I'm trying to do. I don't know if it'll happen in our generation, but let's assume that it is, and it very well could. Do you know Christ is your personal Savior? There's people sitting here right now, I don't know who you are, you've been coming to church, coming to church, coming to church. There's young people who, uh, uh, teenagers that are now teenagers in 20s, 30 years old, and back when you were a child, maybe you made a, a decision for Christ, but it's become a cultural thing instead of a spirit-led thing, and you're trying to serve God in, uh, uh, but really not. It's like you go to church, you do the churchy things, we go to Sunday school, we go to church, and then we go to home and live like anything but. I'm going to encourage you right now. Folks, this stuff is real. It's coming. It's no joke. It's not a game. It's very, very serious business. And if this happens in our generation, there are individuals that are counting on a little prayer maybe or a baptism or taking the Lord's Supper or trying to be good to get themselves to heaven, and God says, stop playing churchy games. This is serious stuff. Your eternal destiny depends on it. When all of a sudden you start thinking about horrible repercussions, let me just give you one clue. There are a massive amount of people, Christians, that are refusing to take the COVID vaccine. Why are they refusing to do it? Because they are afraid of what could happen if they take it and they refuse to do it. All right. And that's based on what? It's based on thinking and logic. Now, there's others that don't care and have taken it. You say, well, why are you bringing that up? Because, especially in the conservative crowd, which most of us would be part of, we say, nope, can't do that because it could harm me, and I'm not convinced yet that it's the right thing to do. All right, if you're that concerned about the shot, and I'm not saying you shouldn't be concerned about it, by the way, how much more your eternal destiny? Hmm. 
I'm not going to do this today because it could have resulted in my death. All right. Understood. And you got my support. What happens if the rapture happens today and you've not trusted Christ? What happens if you're counting on everything except your faith in the Lord Jesus to go to heaven? 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, But then as workers together with him also plead, we plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, individuals, now, today, is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What will you do with Jesus today? Have you trusted him as your Savior? Have you been counting on uh, uh, maybe a, a ritual that you did sometime? Are you counting on uh, things that you think that you did that gave you grace with God? And God says, I'm not interested in any of that because you're saved by grace. God's free unmerited gift. It's by receiving his gift by receiving eternal life through believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and taking that free gift. Lord, I take the free gift today. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. Would you take the free gift today? Father, I pray now as we bring this service to a close, Lord, how important it is to understand about the things that will be taking place. And Father, for those of us that uh, have already trusted you and know what beyond a shadow of a doubt that we won't be involved in those horrible times, then Lord, help us to be busy about your uh, work. Help us to be going out every single day we can, telling folks about Christ. Help us to go out and tell folks about the VBS that'll be here in two weeks. Help us to uh, uh, share the gospel. Help us to show the love of Christ. Help us to do our best not only to share the gospel, but for those that won't listen, maybe to invite them to church where they can hear it here. Lord, I pray that you'd help us like a mighty army during these days that we have left. Help us to go out and do the work that you've asked us to do. If you're here this morning, maybe you're watching on the internet, have you really trusted Christ as your personal Savior? Have you accepted his free gift of salvation? Are you counting on only what Jesus did for you instead of what you think you did to gain his favor? Well, let's get that right this morning. The gospel's so simple and it's so easy, yet it's so misunderstood. You understand that you're a sinner. You understand that you don't deserve heaven. But Jesus Christ, God's son, did come down from heaven to pay every single penny, if you will, of the price you owe him for your sin. And he's willing to forgive you this very moment. What do you have to do? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Would you give your heart and life and say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven this morning, but I'm trusting in what Jesus did on the cross for me, his death, burial, and resurrection, and I'm receiving that free gift of eternal life. Thank you for saving me, Lord, and promising to take me to heaven when I die. Father, help us to do the right thing this week. Help us to know every single person here this morning that they're loved and cared for by you. And Father, help us to support each other, to be a church that loves people and each other. And Father, we commit all this to you and all God's people said.